Okay, welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where the planets align, three friends chat true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. We are a true trine again, so I am your host, Hannah, here with the other host, Sarah and Meredith. Woo! We're back in a harmonious position. Reunited. <laughs> we also haven't recorded in two weeks. And Sarah... Oh, fuck! <laughs> cat. Did you see that? Yeah. Oh, listeners, Morris just jumped onto my desk and, like, ran his head right into my, my can of beer. And he also showed his bum hole to us, so thanks, Morris. Ugh, Morris. Where's another view? The true fan. Let go, let go. Oh. <laughs> Release. No Morris, pause. you already stole the show once. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> this is going to be a short one. Don't worry. Welcome back for episode 19. So I guess things back to normal. Haven't recorded in two weeks. Sarah hasn't recorded for longer. A long time. It feels like it's been years. I barely remember how to do the introduction, so we're off to a good start. But <laughs> Morris is the only one doing what he knows how to do. Hey, look, yep. the camera. <laughs> right? Why have I butted it? <laughs> Otter is pouting because he didn't get to go outside today from all the smoke. So super, super quick little wrap up. Not really. This isn't really a uh, corrections corner. This is just calling out the listener's corner. Because okay. I was told by someone we both know, Meredith, that we Uh-oh. were saying Ari weird. Ari. Ari? Ari? How did we say it in the... It's Ari Squire. Yeah. Well. Is it pronounced some other way? I have no idea. I was just told that we were saying it weird. It's kind of a weird name, though. It is. But I'm pretty sure we got it right. Ari. His face also looks like a combination of two different people that I have gone on dates with. And I was like, this is creepy. Ew. <laughs> oh, and he's a big creep. So, uh. Oh, yeah. Ari. Ari? I don't know. Well, sorry, listener. Sorry. Whatever. Um, sorry, Ari. Sorry, Ari, Ari. Not sorry, Ari. <laughs> not sorry. <laughs> Sorry, not Ari. <laughs> oh! I'm just going to do a little shout out. Someone who listened to last week's episode and sent me a message and said that their boyfriend's mom works as a social worker at McNeil Island. So, <gasps> there you go. Oh, really? Okay. So, they felt like home. So, hi. Hello, listener's mom. Listener's boyfriend's mom. Listener's boyfriend's mom. Hello, listener. You're the best one out of all of them. <laughs> yeah, thanks for writing. We love hearing that stuff. That's an awesome island. Um, it's kind of sad that it's got a DSHS facility on it. <laughs> we don't envy their position, but a lot of respect to the folks that can work in those types of facilities. So, Well, since Sarah's back, we're putting her on the spot. <laughs> Do you want to tell us about one of those kinds that make up the world? 
Yeah, I suppose I have one of those prepared for today. Oh, yay. Look at you go. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) You're doing it! It's been so long. But yeah, since I was gone to Cape Cod all summer, I kind of was like, well, what should I do? Oh, I should definitely dive into a Cape Cod killer. Oh, hell yeah. So everyone meet Anton Tony Costa, born on August 2nd, 1944, which makes him a Leo. And his moon is also a Capricorn, and his Mercury is a Virgo, which we'll talk about after this right, story. he has some earthy grounding to that Leo Yeah, showmanship. fire and dirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, his Venus is also Leo. Okay. Oh. So it's like Leo, Capricorn, Virgo, Leo. <laughs> and there's more, there's more Virgo further down in his list, too. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Apparently not a great combo. Uh, yeah, well. Let's find out a little bit about that, too. Let's find out about Tony. (laughs) Tony! (laughs) But also, first, since I've been missing out on all the astrology fun this summer, I wanted to just go over a little bit of overview as far as a Leo person and what that might mean. So, broad overview, right? In Leo, the sun can be proud and outgoing and playful. They are intense individuals. They're not content or happy with just being one person of a team. They like to be kind of the the outshining dramatic person in the front of everybody and they'll add drama to their lives and put on performances and things like that. They also can be generous and grand in their gestures, but on the dark side they can be very self-centered and vain. So, without further ado, here's all about Tony Costa. He was born on August 2nd, 1944 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. His father died during World War II when he was only an infant, so he grew up without any father figure. Okay. When he was around seven years old, he started to complain to his mother, Cecilia, that a man was coming into his room at night, and he was then later able to identify the unknown man through um, a photograph when he saw it and said that it had been actually his father. So he had Wait, some what? sort of ghosty daddy coming to visit him at oh, night. Ghost oh, ghost daddy, but like... Creepy. I was thinking molestation. Which was my immediate thought, too, until I read that paragraph, and I was like... I don't think ghosts can molest. I hope not. However, he did start showing signs of sociopathy in his teens, and when he was 12, he was allegedly raped by an older teenage boy in his neighborhood. Uh Uh-oh. So there was Uh, some of that thrown in there. What was happening in the 50s? Right? Yeah, it's kind of fucked. So late one night in November of 1961... At the age of 17, he invaded the apartment of a 14-year-old girl in his neighborhood of Somerville, Massachusetts. Was it her apartment? Maybe, like, <laughs> her parents' apartment. She was the only one home. I was like, I'm man, this sure. 14-year-old girl is living. She's got it together. Independent yeah. woman. There's a Capricorn. Oh, God. <laughs> a much better Capricorn than I've been being. Oh, that's a lot. Anyway, so she's home alone somehow. He invades her apartment where she is at night, and he stood over her bed as she slept, but then she woke up and saw him and screamed, and he ran away. Not a ghost daddy. Not a ghost daddy. Three days later, he entered the same apartment, and this time attempted to drag her, kicking and screaming, (gasps) down the hall to the basement of the apartment, but luckily, neighbors heard and intervened before he was able to do anything to her. Jesus. I can't believe he went back three days later. Yeah, it took him, like, a full 72 hours to kind of get the guts to go back i don't know i mean i just want to go back at all if i was a creep yeah also <laughs> girl needs to lock her doors i know yeah. like, someone stay with her anyone? like a couple of months later 
On January 4th of 1962, he was actually convicted of burglary and assault and received a suspended one-year sentence for this, plus three years of probation. Okay. But he didn't waste any time, apparently, because then in April of 1963, so like a little bit more than a year later, he married a, get this, another 14-year-old. What? Legally? I mean, like, he was 18, and I think as long as the parents sign over consent, it's legal in some states. An age of consent has, like, definitely changed a lot, but all right. Yeah. 14-year-olds. So, 14-year-old wifey. No. That's worse than a 14-year-old apartment owner. (laughs) Yeah, because, like, apartment owner, you're living by yourself. You're not necessarily going to have to procreate or anything. Ew. He's 18. He's only four years older, but still yeah it's it's like is this the 1860s or the 1960s well it's What's almost happening? like a, a high school senior dating uh-huh, a freshman a freshman but like mm-hmm. the only seniors that ever like were friends with a freshman were creeps <laughs> they were gross no for sure <laughs> because it like, was predatory and as a seniors we were very full of ourselves and why would we go down to these plebes so you know yeah no it's it's very predatory gross 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 and just for information, I guess, the age of consent is 16 or higher in most cases, but in 1995 in Georgia, it was raised from 14 to 16, and in 2001 in Hawaii, it was raised from 14 to 16. So I guess in some parts of the country, it was 14 for a while. I was just listening to another podcast today. And, um, like, in the early 90s in Texas, it was 14 as well, so. Okay. I always thought of Massachusetts as, like, being a little bit more ahead of things, but It's still the 60s. Woof. How far ahead can you be? Yeah. I don't know. I just think back to the bad decisions I made in my life at the age of 14, and glad that I didn't have consent. (laughs) I was an idiot. I have almost no memories of what I did when I was 14, but, uh. I'm I'm glad my parents made decisions for me. Yes. I was an angry little asshole. I would have been a terrible wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this poor 14-year-old girl was named Avis and she was preyed on, married I off like and that abused. Name. Right? It's cute. It's also a car rental. Company. I know. I wasn't going to oh. like drag it down, but I like its name. I wouldn't name a child Avis now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless you're like you're just like a rental car to me. Oh, oh. <laughs> not even well, enough to own. I don't love you enough to name you Ford Escort or something. <laughs> Anywho, <Hero. laughs> an Escort isn't that also a rental? Yeah. Wow, this joke had layers. <laughs> okay, I swear I've only had one beer. Um. Uh, you missed, okay. listeners. All three of us. Each time we logged on, the first words out of our mouth were, "I'm very tired." <laughs> I'm very so tired. tired. Delirious. I'm very tired. This is, yeah. You get Sorry. You, what you get. Yeah. So, Avis married off 14 years old. He proceeded to have three children with her, like, back to back. Oh, God. At 14? Yeah. 14, 15, 16? 16? Three babies? Yeah. Mm. That's so, so young. And since this is the 60s, of course, too... Costa began almost immediately experimenting with drugs, and his marriage 
obviously suffered from that. Um, at some point, poor little Avis told a family doctor that Tony had hit her and her first child more than once. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then in June of 1966, during the hippie movement, uh, he came home to his family with two young women, Bonnie Williams and Diane Federoff. Okay. Two. Just randomly in hey fam. Uh, no. Uh, he said were he was going dead? to help them out. Oh, okay. They were not. No. He said he was going to help them out and drive them to Pennsylvania and then ultimately to California um, to be part of, you know, the fun, free-living um, atmosphere. Yeah, but just group... drive to California. You have three kids. Yeah, of course. Like, they, they're kind of, they're already on the rocks anyway. But yeah, so they, he took off with them in his car, but the group never arrived to their final destination. And he returned home 10 days later without them. And Bonnie, Bonnie and Diane are believed to be his first victims, but no one actually knows where they went or what happened to them. Man, hitchhiking oh. was a crazy thing. Yeah. But like hitchhiking then, oh, let's just stop off real quick so I can uh, give my wife a, a reason of where I'm going to be yeah. going for the next Meet 10 days. Meet my family. Ugh. And then <laughs> let's go to California. Mm, okay. So in the summers of 1966 and 1967, he was taking drugs, selling drugs, bailing on his poor wife and family to go hang out in Provincetown and Cape Cod for the summers. One account that was later written by Liza Rodman details her firsthand experience with him as her babysitter. What? (laughs) So she was seven years old in 1966 when her mother, Betty, who was a divorced home ec teacher working hard to try and raise her two girls on her own, Betty got a job in Provincetown, and this is the area, the very farthest teeny tip of Cape Cod, um, of that peninsula, that, like, weird arm shape that's, like, flexing. The teeny tiny, like, way far out there, kind of isolated, but, like, super cool Cape Cod summery town. Um, So Betty and her daughters Liza and Louisa moved into a single room at the Royal Coachman, which is a seaside motel there, and Betty worked over the summer as director of housekeeping. One day that summer, 21-year-old Costa drove up to the motel in his beat-up Oldsmobile, and Liza recalls, quote, He was tall and suntanned, with thick, dark hair and straight white teeth. He'd come to say hi to his mother, Cecilia, who was one of the royal coachman's housekeepers, and to inquire if he could get a job there, too. He was hired on as a handyman. Soon, Tony wasn't just patching up screens and fixing leaky faucets in the motel, but also providing babysitting services, watching Liza and Louisa. The girls really liked him preferring him over the other babysitter positions. And because their mom was busy and then also enjoying her summers on the Cape when she wasn't working, she was like, sure, go ahead and babysit my kids. I don't mind. He's spending more time with other people's children than his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My first complaint here. Why do they always babysit? Is he also a cannibal? <laughs> no. I mean, speculatory. Oh. Uh-oh. So, yeah, the girls really liked him. They preferred him over the other babysitter options. He apparently was gentle, kind, funny, never raised his voice to them. He would take them for car rides through the town, um, running errands and to some specific spots, namely Truro Woods and the Provincetown Dump. And the oh. girls never thought of anything of it and remembered him fondly. Going to the dump as a field trip. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, if you're a handyman, you're getting rid of, like, stuff that, like, drywall or whatever. I don't know. Okay, That's fine. a fair point. It's still weird, though. It's weird. Yeah, but it's like, okay, well, I'm babysitting these kids at the same time as I'm being a handyman. I don't think anybody thought anything of it. Just like... Actually, I'm pretty sure my dad took me to the dump a couple times when I was a kid as well. <laughs> my dad <laughs> but took he's me your dumpster dad. 
Like, I actually went dumpster diving as a child He's like, let me just plop you in here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, oh, here, I can lift you. You just, like, find if there's anything interesting in there and let me know. I'm like, this one smells bad. Can I come out now? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (sighs) I did find, like, some fun jewelry one time, and I was like, "Mm." Nice. (laughs) It wasn't worth anything. That was, like, costume jewelry. Oh, I would have kept it, though. Anyways, okay, so yeah, he babysat them in the summers um, in, like, randomly listed amongst some of these timeline facts. In August of 1967, he had shot a female acquaintance with a bow and arrow and casually apologized for the supposed accident. <laughs> okay. How, how was that an accident? Uh, anyway. How do you, I guess, bow and arrows. Okay, sir. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Well, I guess at least whatever. he apologized for it, but he apologized for not actually finishing the job. Probably like, was oh yeah, he's like oh, he's apologizing oh, to himself. Alive. Oh my bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fucked up. Uh, yeah. By January of 1968, his marriage was in shambles. He then abandoned his family and went to California, briefly living in San Francisco. All right, he finally made it to California. Uh huh. Then he met a woman named Barbara Spaulding, who he hung out with for a little while while he was there. But then ultimately, when he left to go back to Massachusetts, she left her child with some family members and followed him with or went with him rather. But that was the last anybody saw her. Ah. And she wasn't anywhere when Costa actually showed up in Massachusetts for the summer. Mm. So she's believed to be his third victim. He must be charming. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's tall, dark, and handsome. He's got nice white teeth, and he's very personable. He's got that Leo character. God, I I love teeth. (laughs) Good teeth, good skin, nice hair. What more do you need in the 60s? Uh, I guess nothing. So at some point during that time, Avis had had enough, and she filed for divorce. All right. Good on you, Avis. You're like 18. Yeah, right? Exactly. three kids. Ooh, poor girl. Like around the same time, things also went further south for Costa because the crooked doctor who had been supplying him with a lot of his drugs finally dropped him as a patient in the spring. Was he just using these drugs or were these drugs he was selling? Both. Okay. Yeah, he was using them and selling them mostly like in the Cape during the summers while he was out there. But then shortly after he retaliated on May 17th, he robbed the doctor's private practice and um, stole drugs and surgical equipment. I wonder who did it. Not this disgruntled patient that I just fired. (laughs) Yeah. He then buried the drugs and the surgical equipment that he'd stolen behind the Provincetown dump and in Truro Woods um, and also started up his own little, you know, like area where he was planting weed, marijuana, I guess is how they're phrasing it. (laughs) I was like, weeds? Bodies? Weeds. Surgical instruments? (laughs) Weeds, bodies, surgical instruments. And these are also the same areas where he was taking his babysitting people to. So. Exactly. I was saying, uh, yeah, Liza and Louisa, that's where they went for their fun little jaunts. So, like, how convenient. So he had already established these areas for some sort of personal use. Yes. Okay. I don't like the surgical instruments part of the story at all. Mm-mm. No. A week after this drug heist, a young local waitress named Sydney Monzen went missing. She was last seen by her sister getting into Costa's car and was finally reported missing on June 14th. So it's like 
almost a month has gone by, but there were a lot of runaways during that time. So it was just kind of like a, hmm, we don't want to look into it until we're sure kind of thing. And it's kind of like, oh, it was a weird time in America, the late yes. 60s. Yeah. yeah. When questioned, Costa had said that she was headed off for a trip to Europe and that he had no idea of her whereabouts. Sure. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many women have you lost so far, Tony? Tony. <laughs> Tony. <laughs> Tony. That's four. You're a bad chauffeur. Yeah. <laughs> but he hasn't lost any children. Well, I mean, he still has those three he's not seeing anymore. I feel like he did kind of yeah. lose them. <laughs> I guess that's true. Then by August, Costa's divorce from Avis was finalized. Yay. Avis, you're free. Run. Run. <laughs> far, far away. And then he got a new girlfriend, Susan Perry, who was kind of one of his acquaintances for a while before that even. But she moved in with him and lived with him for all of a week. And then she was gone by September 10th. Like, gone, gone? Uh, Well, his friends had asked where she went because they were coming over often enough to know that she was living there. And then when she just wasn't there one day, they were like, hey, where'd she go? What's, What's going on with Susan? And... Tony told them that Susan had met and joined up with a bunch of druggies on their way to Mexico, and he hadn't seen her since. Okay. I guess this is... (laughs) Yeah, it's... So this is number five? Yep. It's the era. uh, I mean, yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, sure, totes. But also, this is telling me that I should probably ask questions when things get suspicious, as much as I don't want to get up and involved in anyone's business. Yeah, right? Yeah, but also, I'm not sure how you're supposed to check on that in the 60s. Well, typically, like, at least from what I've heard from other true crime type stories is that in the 60s, someone goes missing and you know they're supposed to be somewhere and you go and tell the police and the Mm. police are still like, yeah, no, they probably just went. (laughs) Well, yeah, like they had a destination. They're going to Mexico for drugs or something. Yeah, as long as you have some sort of story, like, oh, that's believable. The end. Yeah. (laughs) And it really takes a lot of, like, pleading to get them to actually look into anything like that. So... Yeah, so most people believed him, um, given the huge number of young runaways at the time, and many of those people were assumed to be lost to drugs and the hippie counterculture and stuff, right? So, I don't know. Really unfortunate that nobody really looked into that. Yeah. Um, Sometime mid-September, so just a little while after Susan goes missing, Tony was arrested for driving with a suspended driver's license. And then later on, on the 25th of September, he was picked up for failure to support his wife and children and was hey. held in custody until November 8th. Avis! Like, hey, man, you can't just do that. <laughs> yeah, seriously, don't be a deadbeat dad, Tony. Yeah. Upon his release, he started spending time and sharing drugs with a woman named Christine Gallant. Lucky lady. Yep, but on the weekend of November 23rd, so like... Oh, did she go to Canada? <laughs> uh no she was found dead in her new york apartment oh. drowned in the bathtub after an apparent barbiturate overdose okay. okay this is actually now our second bathtub drowning mm-hmm oh yeah okay just just mentioning it <laughs> all right i don't know what bath to tubs. do with that fact bathtubs are dangerous yeah don't drink you too much wine when you're having there. a bath you might get a uti who knows don't take barbiturates <laughs> while you're taking a bath or too much wine that puts me to sleep yeah the wine and barbiturates probably isn't a good combo either. No, double wham. And don't date Tony. Don't date Tony. Don't date Tony. Don't get in the car with Tony. Yeah. Don't don't no. take drugs from Tony. Just don't talk to Tony. <laughs> no matter Leave how Tony much alone. you like his teeth. <laughs> in January of 1969, so this was it's like late sleepy. November. 
Now in January, Patricia Walsh and Marianne Waisaki took a trip to Provincetown for the weekend. Patricia was a second grade teacher and Marianne was finishing her education degree at Rhode Island College. They were both independent and hardworking and... I don't know. There's also something to be said, and I don't know for sure, but there's something to be said about, like, friends going away for a weekend during that time when they're, like, not out. like Victorian roommates. Yeah, exactly. They're going to Provincetown. Yeah. And it is now kind of a pretty big, like, gay hotspot. And it's not like this is, like, the summertime. This is January. So it's, like, right after Christmas time. You're just like, we gotta get away. (laughs) Don't you have to work? Anyway. Well, I don't know. It's early enough in January, I think. Like, maybe they're still on winter break. The kids will be fine. They're second graders. (laughs) Well, no. So it was only, they were only gone for a weekend. Oh, okay. Supposedly. They were only going to be gone for a weekend. Okay. But because they're, you know, hardworking and, like, are usually pretty diligent with everything, when they didn't show up for work and school, respectively, people noticed and then the police were notified. And this time they actually paid attention because they're like, that's not normal. These guys are not involved with this culture at all. Okay. So then they actually did investigate, and upon investigation, it was noted that they'd stayed in the same boarding house where Tony had been living. And so then, according to other witnesses, on January 25th, the two women had given him a ride into town, but were never seen again. Oh. In their car. They were giving him a ride? Ugh. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then two weeks later, on February 8th, a woman's mutilated body was found partially buried at the Old Truro Cemetery and was later identified as the partial remains of Susan Perry. Not oh. in Mexico. Oh! What? Yeah. Ah. So then this cues up even more searches, and another, technically three weeks later, the dismembered remains of Patricia and Mary Ann and Sydney oh. were oh. all found buried roughly a mile away from where Susan's body was left. Hmm. Along with their bodies were Costa's secret drug stash, Oh, uh, which okay. he had termed his secret garden. Okay. As well as all of his plants and some of the surgical equipment. And oh. then they went after him and he was arrested. I don't know if I would put those all in one spot. Yeah, no, it's, it's not the nicest garden. Um, That's almost worse than Dorothea's garden. Almost. Uh, worse? Almost. I'm not really sure, actually. Mm, how many bodies did she have? There was seven. Seven. Yeah. This one's only, I mean, and she body didn't... count for this guy is high, but not... All in one spot. She didn't have any drugs or sharp instruments buried in the garden, though. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, Tony, we don't like your garden. Tony, you're no. really bad at this. Shit landscaping, Tony. Mm-hmm. He was then found in possession of Patricia's Volkswagen. And okay. then oh, is that upon what? questioning... Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, they gave they him gave the him ride. They gave him a ride. Yeah. And they gave him their car. Yeah. So, yeah, upon questioning, he stated that he had actually purchased the van from them before they left to go to Canada. (laughs) They were going to (laughs) walk. Yeah, because that makes sense. He gave numerous confessions while he was in police custody, many of which were found to be false because he failed at several polygraph examinations. Okay, but... So one of those, like, oh, I can beat this and make myself look innocent, but... He just made things worse. If you fail, yeah. I mean, you're just muddying the waters, I guess. Taking multiple multiple polygraphs and telling multiple stories, like nothing yeah. is adding Then up. it gets confusing and yeah. ugly. Not a very clear-cut answer. He also tried to implicate a couple of his friends for their murders instead. God. And showing that he don't was even just be like, Tony's there friend. at the wrong time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jesus. And they're like, whoa, dude. 
We were asking you about Susan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so Tony finally confessed to Patricia's, no, sorry, Mary Ann's murder, but not Patricia's, on July 12th. But they were together, Tony. Uh, Yeah. Like, it's it's not a buy one, get one free here. Ugh, no. His trial began almost a year later. He only confessed to one, then, even though they found four bodies. Right? Okay. But I mean, I think he was maybe hedging his bets on having friends that were going to take the fall. <laughs> oh. No, but like make it look confusing so that he would only be guilty for one. Maybe I don't know. Mm. It doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> his trial began almost a year later in May of 1970, and his lawyers attempted to plead insanity in that Costa was a heavy drug user, um, which they claimed probably impaired his rational thinking and decision making. That's not insanity, though. No. No, it was just drug abuse. And then, of course, he's this vain, prideful person, right? So he destroyed his own defense by giving a rational, intelligent speech to the jury, which proved him sane. (laughs) Way too... Oh, Leo! Way too proud to even pretend to not be the shit if it meant not going to jail. Damn. Yeah. All right, Tony, you're not the brightest crayon in the box. No. You definitely are brash (laughs) all right yeah so he was then ultimately convicted of four of the murders and sentenced to life imprisonment oh so of the of the four bodies other than the one poor soul in the bathtub went for for all four of them get him for all of them then Mm -hmm. yep oh he only confessed to one they could still try him for them all Mm -hmm. yep okay so that's kind of a bit of a happy ending ciao tony while incarcerated at walpole Walpole? Wow. Correctional Institution? I have no idea how to pronounce that. So bad. <laughs> Just wait till next week when I try to pronounce French cities. <laughs> oh boy. This All will right, be a distant memory. <laughs> <laughs> so he began to stock his prison cell with books on ritual magic and the occult. Oh, why do you have to be cool? Including a copy of Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible. God damn it. Mm-hmm. He also wrote a novel titled Resurrection, which never received publication. God damn it. Um, but in it, I know. I kind of want to read it. Right? Like, um, I don't know. But in it, so some people apparently did because in this article, they're describing some of the stories in it. Hmm. So he had described the story of how he and his supposed friend named Carl took Carl. Patricia and Carl. They took Walsh and Waisakis. They took Patricia and Marianne out for... A drug trip, I don't know. A trip to get a trip. (laughs) Tripping on trips. Trip trips. Yeah. When Carl supposedly randomly shot them both in the head with an unnamed firearm. Carl, what the fuck, man? And Costa, uh, Tony was like freaked out, right? And allegedly only had to kill Marianne with a knife when he noticed that she was still alive and he was trying to end her misery. Oh. All I can do is think about Tony as like a big ball, like plate of spaghetti and very Italian. Tony. <laughs> Mamma mia, Carl, what you doing? That was really bad, but that's what I have in my head. Imagine yeah. a meatball just said that. <laughs> yeah, so, so that doesn't really apply. not a very creative writer. No. The two men then buried the bodies. He also claimed that... Um, Suzanne and Sydney had died of drug overdoses and that Carl was the one who dismembered their bodies without his knowledge. Oh. 
Carl. That's what I always tell a friend. They dug through all of his history and his acquaintances and asked people who Carl is, and no one has ever heard of a Carl, and there was never found any Carl to be connected to Tony. So the tale was presumably another false confession. Tony is good, because what if there was a Carl, and like, he was completely innocent, but... Tony fuckface wrote all his stories about him and he got called in and his whole life went down the tubes. That also would have been very sad. Or was Carl Tony's alter ego in some sort of psychosis? Maybe like a drug-induced psychosis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But maybe he had like this other personality when he was all high on whatever... Whatever they were doing in the 60s. Uh... They did look into his, uh, like, they did, like, personality tests and stuff on him, and they found him to be schizoid. But, uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot talked about in the articles that I found on this. There also wasn't a super great amount. That diagnosis in the 60s wasn't super anything. So even the terminology that they used was like, ooh, I don't like that. (laughs) Well, I don't even know if we can apply it now. You can't, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean the same thing anymore terminology-wise. It's just weird that it was... It was always Carl, right? So he's saying, you know, Carl did all of this stuff. But what if Carl was like him? What if Carl was the neighborhood boy who got to him when he was little? Could be. Oh, like, that a suppressed would trauma. be very interesting. Yeah. Because I was going to say, what if Carl is real and he's innocent this whole time? He's not. That's enough of that reality. Okay. okay. <laughs> Damn it, Carl. Okay, and then an even happier end to this story. I guess, I don't know, if you. some people think of this as not happy, but at least he's not costing us anything anymore. On May 12th in 1974, he was found by a corrections officer dead in his cell, having committed suicide by hanging himself with a leather belt from the bars. They gave him a belt? In the 60s! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And like, man, don't stay up. And here's your complimentary uh, yeah. army knife and uh, go yeah. to jail. <laughs> yeah. Here's your shiv. There you go, uh, buddy. Yeah, I'm fine with he that. He was 29. Quite a life. He did a lot of mayhem and destruction in 29 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's insane. And he left behind some mayhem and destruction as well. Yeah. And no one knows what happened to those other victims out on the road, right? Nope. They were never found. Their remains are still out there. His body is currently buried in an unmarked grave in Provincetown next to his mother. So people have tried to go and, of course, find it. So it's unmarked. All right, I would have done that. So I understand the uh, impulse. Uh, His case garnered international attention and various names um, were associated with him as a murderer when the district attorney, Edmund Dennis, released grisly details about the body's conditions, some of which were exaggerated or altogether untrue, but it kind of perpetuated this craze about it. So I'm not sure which of the stories aren't true because they have a lot of weird overlap in every website that I found. But there are some outlines of his uh, modus operandi. So he killed by shooting them in the head first and then cleanly dismembering their bodies, presumably with this stolen surgical tools. At least he shot them first. Yeah. Yeah. He buried them in shallow and partial graves, sometimes with the other components of other victims together. So I think, I can't remember specifically, but it said at some point that Susan's, was it Susan's? Sydney's body was found with Patricia's, but like only parts of it. Yeah. When he supposedly had killed Barbara Gallant, he had drowned her in a bathtub after taking drugs together, but needed to make it look like a barbiturate overdose, so he didn't dismember her. He wanted it to look like she also, died on her own. sanity is what that also shows, too. You can't use an in- insanity defense if you're planning ahead. 
Yeah. I think that's why it all fell through and he was charged with all of them. Except, but he wasn't charged with Barbara's, so I, I don't know. Yeah, so he needed to make it look like it was not his fault or anything. So he didn't dismember her body. Um, but the bodies found in the Truro forest um, or Truro woods had showed signs that he engaged with ne- or in necrophilia with them. Yeah. Mm. And it was also reported that he had removed several organs from at least two of the bodies. Which organs he took or what he did with them is unverified. I'm going to say, because not many organs... I would think liver, maybe? There are reports, too, that he took their hearts, which is strange. I guess you could pickle it. I mean, I, I don't know, but, like, duck hearts are delicious. Are they? I've never had heart. They just seem very, like, I had duck hearts irony. from Yakitori, and they're fantastic. It's like the filet mignon of a duck is the heart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not a monster, I promise. I can't say I've never had heart before. Yeah. There's also reports <laughs> of human bite marks on some of the parts, too. Oh. Yuck. I mean, I do prefer, though, that the victims were very quickly dead and that all of this happened post-mortem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm glad they weren't tortured That's what I to was that extent. really afraid of with the surgical tools. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that he had time to, but, like, he didn't have, like, a kill room or anything where he would really have a place to do that. Oh, yeah, true. He's living in an apartment. Although Jeffrey Dahmer did a lot of work in an apartment. <laughs> It's true, but I mean, like, it seems like the things that had happened were he would be in a vehicle with someone, take them out to his isolated spots, and then, you know, do what he would with them there. Yeah. Which, if you're going to take the time to, like, torture somebody, it seems like screams would carry further outdoors. I don't know. Like, there's a potential for them to escape easily that way. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's why he dispatched them first. Or the kill just isn't part of it for him. Yeah, maybe it's all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's necrophilia involved, then he would prefer to do most of that stuff post-mortem anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the cannibalism as well, if that happened. Yeah. <sighs> I'm going to say it did. This is our second cannibal babysitter. Ooh! Is it a pattern? What's happening, guys? What causes that? Yeah, every cannibal that we have to do, we have to look and see if there was some like some sort of babysitting going Ever on. Ever a babysitting experience. Oh. Or, like, associations with children in general. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't go a whole lot into the, what is it called, psychiatry stuff of this, because it's it was the 60s and all the oh, notes were yeah. kind of mumbo-jumbo from it. Not that there even were that many. <laughs> but since then, his secret garden has become, like, one of those creepy tourist traps where they're like, come, see the Truro Woods murder garden and stuff Ew. like that. I'm such an asshole, but I would want to do that. Yeah. And Leo Demore's novel, In His Garden, was based on this case as well. Oh, it was a book. It was a novel about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll put it on the website. I mean, based on. I don't know that it's, like, accurate or anything, but it's something to read. So, yeah. There's a Leo who's prone to jealousy, possessiveness, maybe? Like, yeah. I don't know if he's working on a... Charismatic? Mm-hmm. They say that a Leo's pride is something better left unchallenged, so I'm wondering if these strong women, you know... They're trying to be independent and enjoy their lives in this hippie time movement and maybe just questioned him a little bit too much and he snapped, would be my guess. It's just super interesting, too, though, that at his trial, he could even, like, dial back his pride enough to maybe try to save himself a little bit. Like, that's a part of him. Like, that didn't mean. No, like, it was like... (laughs) I found that to be hilarious. Yes, I love it. Yep, so that's, that's what I got. All right. Woo! Well, I'm going to direct you, since you haven't listened to, um... 
any of these episodes we did without you. Listen to all of them. But I did episode 17 for both of us, and it's about a Minnesota murder. Oh, okay. So I did briefly read that, like, the outline or whatever. Oh, yeah. I want to dive into that one. That one looks fascinating. I almost did another Minnesota, and I was like, no, I don't want it to be two back-to-back Minnesotas or anything like that. (laughs) I would feel bad about that. Nah, Cape Cod. I'll wait wait a bit. (laughs) Yeah. We won't dump all over Minnesota. I'm doing, like, another California murders. All I can do is California murders, apparently. (laughs) Well, I've I've done two Boston, not two Boston, two Massachusetts ones now. That's true. I will say, though, while I was there, like, there were discussions happening with a couple of Kirk's friends that we met up with about this woman whose body was found decapitated on the side of the road in, like, some small suburb nearby his hometown. Okay. Recently? Like, while we were there. Oh, no. Uh, Her boyfriend chopped off her head with a machete. No. Ugh. Yeah. Wow. What an yeah. asshole. Yeah. Was his name Tony? <laughs> oh, I should look that up. I forgot. I do remember reading that she was a very charismatic, kind person. She had awesome hair. Aw. Yeah. So it was really sad. And That's he was probably awful. just really insecure and knew she was better yep. than him and wanted to keep yep. her. Well, they had just broken up or she had just broken up with him and he was like having none of it, oh, I guess. because she was better than him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So. All right. Didn't hear anything about that. Oh, right. So Tony's Mercury was in Virgo, and right now, <laughs> Mercury is in Virgo. Hey! <laughs> so when Mercury's in Virgo, we value precision in speech and thought and process, and we really want the nitty-gritty to be perfect. This is a time when we overanalyze and discriminate between what we might think of as useful or impractical. Mercury can feel right at home in Virgo. It's one of the signs that it can rule and dealing with details is might come natural or more easily to you right now. But we need to be careful that we don't lose that perspective or that we find ourselves lost in the details or something like that because it, that's not what life is really about. Is it though? <laughs> well, I mean, it's helpful. It can certainly be helpful. <laughs> but we should also be aware of the possibility that expressing ourselves in this way overly factually can come across as abrasive. That's all I've ever wanted. <laughs> you want to be abrasive. <laughs> so yeah, try not to be too dry or critical um, and let your imagination have at least a little bit of fun uh, this month. Just a little bit. Not as much as Tony. Uh, no, no. Don't do drugs to help your imagination come out. You can There's do a little ways. weed. I mean, okay, but like not the other other crazy stuff that he might be on, might have been on. Yeah, because it sounds like he was on pharmaceuticals as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. So there's other ways, though, too, whether or not you believe in this witchy shit. There are crystals. Yay! I do, I do believe. (laughs) So crystals that can help with imagination and creativity um, in our form of expression that can help balance out these feelings of, like, dry and critical and unimaginative time. Some things that you might want to use or incorporate maybe on your desk or your little spot where you keep your stones for the month are lace agate and carnelian and jasper. And those are going to help amplify your feelings of positivity um, and expression. And then if you want to lean more firmly into your productivity during this time, then black tourmaline, tiger's eye, and labradorite are your friends. Black tourmaline's my fave. I know. (laughs) It's that Virgo. (laughs) I'm going to bring it. I have some carnelian. I'm going to bring it over to my desk. But um, yeah. Oh, don't house your carnelian and your amethyst together. Do they vibe bad? That, yeah, they can cancel each other out at best, and at worst, they can amplify the wrong things. Speaking of which, you need to come over and see my new crystals, Sarah. Ooh, 
I mean, I saw that some briefly on your coffee They're table so big. when I was watching your cats. Oh, you just you that saw, never mind. Obsidian point you don't have is to ridiculous. See them anymore. Yes, that's no. what they were. But yes, and your was that citrine? That's citrine wasn't that a great piece? That's a shit ton of citrine. I'll put it on the website, folks. Oh, <laughs> it's magical, and I think it might be real because I think it's real, folks. It was very orange. The other it thing wasn't to like... worry about with citrine is sometimes just amethyst that they have color treated. Yeah, they can heat treat it and it turns it kind of an orangey taupe kind of color. Which I kind of think is what my other little piece is, but um, it it should be like a very somewhere between what is it like a Meyer lemon that's yeah, like, like yellow really orange color, bold and saturated. It should be pretty vibrant. Yeah, yeah like the citrine. Think of citrus. <laughs> All right, that will be our food pairing: lemonade. Woo! I'll just All I'm right. gonna pour some gin into a lemon spindrift and call it a day. <sighs> Could do bee's knees. Oh, we could we could all do our different lemon drinks. I'm gonna do a bee's knees because I have lavender and lavender simple syrup with lemon and gin is fantastic. I'm just gonna pour some alcohol into a lemon spindrift and Meredith is just gonna pop a can. Yep. <laughs> Love right. it. I haven't really gotten to do a whole lot of like creative oh, kitchen yeah. outlet all summer, so I'm gonna do what I can now. Awesome. Cool. Alright. So Anything happening in Astroland this week? I've got one for the 23rd of August, which is the same day that episode airs. So may or may not have the website out by then. I hope to have the episode out by then. Oh, everything's in the air, folks. (laughs) But Venus will be in Libra, trying with Saturn in Aquarius. And during this time, romantic commitments, bonding, and socialness are very likely so i guess put on your dancing shoes and have a good time go make friends mm-hmm. friends friends now that the delta variant is roaring well okay maybe don't <laughs> maybe just go see like with the mask the on friend that's outside. in your like your circle yes just don't send dick pics oh <laughs> Don't send unsolicited dick That's That's where go. it's at. If they're asked for, then like, sure. But make sure that they're asked for. Yeah, because let me tell you, folks, an unsolicited dick pic is never going to work. <laughs> Nobody wants No one that. wants to see your floppy little salami. Oh, come on. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, how did we get here? Uh, moving on. <laughs> We're going to have a trine happening. It's very harmonious. It means no dick pics. Trine equals no dick pics. No pictures. Unless it's of your kitties. Murder mittens. More pets. And let's... Yes. We have cats, dogs, snakes. Do we have a lizard yet? Oh, we've no. got my two lizards. <gasps> I don't think they're up yet. Oh. Oh, no, I don't... I don't think I had the pictures. Somebody have a bird? God, if you own, like, a chicken or something, send us a picture of that got a seagull at the beach that like has become your friend i don't know yeah or 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 more canonical pets is fine <gasps> or a rat oh my god whoever sends us the first ferret picture i'll do something special for okay it's probably just gonna be a sticker <laughs> how do you feel about the tarantula pro yeah okay. mine as well and my millipedes too yeah sure they're really cute and they eat lettuce. So many mittens will have to be made for them, but uh So many mittens. So many How do you mittens. how would you fingerprint uh. a murderous <laughs> millipede? We're open to all animals. Insects. Murderous millipede mittens. You have a really good like Venus flytrap or something. It's almost an animal. 
I actually have a sad story about a carnivorous plant. Oh, no. Oh. Sarah, I don't want to depress you, but I don't have a green thumb <laughs> like you. That's okay. So for Christmas, a, a good friend of mine bought, it's not the Venus flytrap, but it's um, a tube one. I can't think Picture of the plant? name. Yeah, but it's a small one. Okay. And it has like a special name aside from pitcher, but yeah, base essentially it's a pitcher plant. And I named Tim Bugs. <laughs> That's a great name. Bugs eats bugs. Cute. And you are what you eat. Oh. But he died. My name is Oreo bugs. Milkshake. <laughs> that sounds really good. Bugs didn't make it. No, he didn't make it because we got him in the wintertime and we didn't have a lot of bugs. And so he was, wasn't was doing too good. We were, I mean, we were hunting and searching for bugs to, to feed him. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, maybe if we can get to spring, it'll turn around. But then he just, he died. I was very sad because we tried really hard, but I think it would be, would have been better if we got him in like the springtime and we have like just bugs outside yeah, know, for him. But like, yeah, when it's like. 10 degrees outside and you're trying to find a fucking bug to feed your carnivorous <laughs> all right r.i.p bugs you were loved yes we'll put a picture of bugs on the website as well if you have a picture i think i have a living picture <laughs> oh well i would prefer a living picture i want him in his prime <laughs> I'll have to look back through my phone and see. But he's super cool. They're super cool plants, and it was super great. I just think we got him at the wrong time of the year for him to be fruitful. <laughs> well, I am the host now. Sarah's goodbye. So, I guess we'll wrap this up. Okay. You could take advantage of that uh, communication spike on the 23rd and give us a review. Yeah. Yeah, and if you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com, and you can check out our website at www.truecrimetrine.com. All right, well, as D.H. Lawrence, who I still haven't read his book, has said, (laughs) it's perfectly fine to flirt with the Zodiac. The Zodiac is well worth flirting with. Unless it's the Zodiac killer. Boom. I also keep subtly changing that quote every time we do it, I think. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) It's totes chill, y'all, to flirt with the Zodiac, is what D.H. Lawrence said, for sure. It's Hannah's quote now. You should just say it's Hannah's quote. Yes, adapted by Hannah. (laughs) Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.